0: well good morning so good to worship with you this morning um if I haven't had a chance uh, to meet you before, uh, my name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's such a joy to just be able to sing to Jesus with you, and now to open up his word, um, and we are in a study in the book of Acts, if you have not been with us before, if you're a guest this morning, or maybe it's just been a little, little while since you've been able to join us, um, we are uh, going to be in Acts chapter 3, and so you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. But just as a brief recap of where we have been, we've seen um, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the establishment. Establishment of the church, the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and as the Holy Spirit came upon uh, those apostles that were gathered together and the group that had gathered with them, the, the, the Spirit empowered them to declare the excellencies of Jesus to all who were around them. And through that the church saw this massive explosion of conversions, three thousand souls, it says, were saved that day. As I mentioned last week, those 3,000, that number 3,000, that's more than any of all of Jesus's uh, earthly ministry that's recorded for us, more than any moment in his earthly ministry in terms of numbers of conversions happened that day through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we just sang about. Um, Carl, if it's okay, go back for me to that la- last verse. The Holy Spirit of God lit the flame and the church of Christ was born. The church was born, all right? and the, it, it was this church that we are now a part of. And what does it say about the spirit that we just sang? Now this gospel truth of old, shall not kneel, shall not faint. This is the hope that we have. And so the exciting part for me about studying Acts, and I hope that you are getting a little bit energized and I realize, just know that this is the third time I've done this and this is the first time you've heard it. So I expect some energy, all right? But anyway, this is the the exciting part of that, thank you, is that the same Holy Spirit of God that we just declared, those words are true. The Spirit of God moved and 3,000 people came to faith and the Spirit of God is still moving. It did not kneel and it shall not faint and it will continue to do work until every knee con- it bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is what we are a part of. The story that we're reading all the way back from thousands of years ago, it seems to us, and so distant in history, that same Spirit of God is at work today in this church and in our community and in other churches around the world and, and the, it's it's an amazing thing to think about what God is doing and has done. And so when we feel as if, and it's natural, I get this, we can sometimes feel the weight of the world. We can feel the circumstances that surround us, the challenges and all the things that face us. We can begin to sometimes feel like and ask the question, God, where are you? I just want to encourage you to remember the words of that song that are the truth of scripture just sung in a beautiful way. The church was born The spirit lit the flame and it shall not kneel. It shall not faint. It will do, he will do his work and have hope in the midst. Well, as we think about what was happening in this story, we pick up again, we ended last week in chapter two where we saw this new church, 3,000 or so people gathering together, sharing their possessions, focusing on the teaching of the word, singing songs, praying for one another, doing all the things that the church does. And in fact, we still do today in some form or fashion, all of those things. And if we don't do those things, we're getting it wrong. So we should be doing those things. And we live that life together. It could be somewhat felt or a natural tendency, and I can just tell you as someone that's involved in this kind of part of the the church life, we see all of this conversion happen. We see this beautiful picture of community and all these things. The temptation I would expect for those believers that we are going to read about this morning would be to say, cool, we're good. We just saw 3,000 people get saved. They're professing Jesus. They're saying all of the talking and declaring all of the good and excellencies of God. Let's just circle the wagons. Let's sort of huddle up and let's do life together, right? We've seen God do a great and mighty thing that kind of feels like 3,000 people. eh, Maybe let's not ask for more. I mean, let's just be satisfied, right? Let's just kind of settle for that. I can tell you just leading a church, being a part, and again, in the role that I play in this church, we deal with all the circumstances of trying to find space, dealing with muddy parking lots, and praise God for the parking and greeting team, by the way, all of you, we just wanna glorify uh, the Lord and give thanks to him for your gifts and using your gifts uh, in the way that you did this morning. But we've got all these circumstances and we've seen God moving in powerful ways in the life of this church. We started nine years ago and to just see all that he's led us through, the temptation could be like, you know, let's just kind of huddle up, let's stop worrying about all this other stuff, stop trying, and and that, I mean, would anyone fault the people for doing that? They just saw 3,000 people get saved. It's like, I think we're good, but that's not what they did. And in Acts chapter three, we get to see the church begin to do the work of the church. We saw them living in community in the way that they were called to live. We now, Luke records for us this story that gives us a picture of how the church is called to just go out and do the works of ministry. And why, even in fact, in spite of all that they had already experienced, they weren't satisfied with that. They were believing and trusting that God had told them what Jesus had promised them. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so they begin to do the regular daily routine of living their life and living on mission for Christ. That's what we're gonna see in Acts chapter three. If you're able, would you stand out of reverence for God's word as I read the beginning of this story, Acts chapter three, verses one through 10. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried "...whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." which we have seen on display, yes, in our own lives, but as we read the story from Scripture, these stories recorded for us, um, empowered by your Holy Spirit, um, thank you that we can be reminded of your continual work, the work that you began then, you are still doing today. I pray that we would be like our brothers Peter and John, people who faithfully walk in obedience to your calling on our lives, living lives filled with your spirit. And I pray now for anyone who is far off from you, who is here this morning, not sure about who you are, perhaps even feeling as if there's no hope. Holy Spirit, would you assure them, remind them, teach them, break down the walls surrounding their heart that they might know your deep love for them. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. As we see this story, a story that might feel very common and feels a little bit to us as we read it. The first reading of it can kind of feel a little bit like a Sunday school class. Okay, we saw Jesus heal a lame man. We remember kind of how we put the little guy on the felt board and when he did this when we were in Sunday school class way back when we were young, some of us were raised in the church that way. We kind of remember these stories. As we think of that, we can just sort of just, that's just all we see. We see Peter and John healed a guy who had been sick But what we need to understand is, again, what is God doing and why is this story recorded for us in scripture and what is he doing specifically as he's teaching us? One of the first things that the apostles, Peter and John and those that were with them are learning is that Jesus in his flesh, again, has departed from them. He has gone to the right hand of the Father and he promised them, as we said last week, that you will do greater works than I and they see that greater works through 3,000 souls that are saved, but then they have to continue that. And so, what is happening here is that the church is now living out as the body of Christ. See, at Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus came, that He took on flesh, His incarnation. God becomes man. Well, God, the the, the God-Man Jesus departed to go be with the Father again, and so He left the church and sent the spirit to fill his church that we might now be his incarnational work in the world through the church. God is doing something powerfully. We are yielded to the power of the Holy spirit at work in us and he is doing his thing. He is, it is his life as evidenced through us. And this is why again, it's exciting to be a part of this work. The church was born and then began to live their life empowered by the spirit. If we want to understand what is happening or how we can live our lives empowered by the Spirit, we can go to a familiar text at Galatians 5. Galatians 5 reminds us and talks about the fruit of the Spirit, Spirit that we are filled with. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, excuse me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control, against such thing there is no law. This is the fruit of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God fills us and we, as we abide in Christ, John 15, are able to produce fruit, fruit of this Spirit of God. That we are able to manifest that into the world. We are able to manifest and bring love into the world, bring peace to the world, bring joy to the world. We're filled with that and it should overflow out of us. Well, and as we do that, we live that life every day. Peter and John, what is it that they're doing? They're going to the temple to pray. To us, we read that as some religious activity. It's what they were supposed to do. They're God people. Of course, they're gonna go to a church. Well, yes, that is, that's true. We should all be doing that, by the way. But here's what's really happening. Peter and John are engaging in their regular routine of life. As Jewish people, it was their practice, their habit, twice a day to go up to the temple to pray. They would go up in the morning, they'd go up here in the afternoon, and they would pray and they would spend time in the temple. And so they're just doing their regular routine. That's what they were doing. You and I have a routine, right? Some of us, you know. And some of us like our routine and some of us begrudgingly follow our routine. But one way or the other, we end up having to do some things sort of throughout the day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, we're going to go throughout our day and live out our life. And there's going to be some, a bit of a routine and a schedule that we follow. And the apostles, they just are beginning now. After Acts 2 describes how they lived their lives together as the church, there now we're seeing this picture, and God records this for us. Luke is telling us, teaching us, this is what they did. They would go, and they would go to the temple. This was a part of their routine, and they did this all filled with the Spirit. The church begins to move, and this is what we also are called to do. We're called to go about the regular activities of our life, filled with the Spirit of God and allow the Holy Spirit of God to work with us, bear the fruit of the Spirit. So when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to perhaps a restaurant this afternoon for lunch, after this gathering, when we do whatever it is, when we head over to a sports field, whenever it dries out, we do all those things and we do those things filled with the Spirit of God, yielded to the Spirit of God, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, That overflows out of us. And as the spirit overflows out of us, God uses us to do great and mighty things. Might seem like it's not that great. Might seem pretty mundane sometimes. Might seem like we're just going down the road, headed to church. Might seem like we're just headed down to a neighbor's house for a meal. Might seem like we're headed to work or we're headed to a sports field. Whatever those mundane activities are, we do those filled with the Spirit. And as we do those things filled with the Spirit of God, recognizing he, he is using us and at work in us, can you see how your life, your daily routine might be transformed by understanding that reality, that God is at work? See, the church, Peter and John, as representatives of this, describing this story, show, they, they teach us that we take the work of God wherever it is and so as they are doing their regular activity, they come upon this man lame from birth who was carried and laid at a gate. This man lame from birth, his whole life, he had never been able to do anything other than what somebody helped him do. So they would carry him to the gate and here they laid him at this gate called beautiful. Not really clear exactly necessarily where that is, but there's the, there was a gate that was crafted in bronze that was put on the, as a gate to the temple. And some believe this is the, t- the gate that he was laid at, this beautiful ornate gate he's laid there and he would ask for provisions. He would ask for money. He would ask for alms. It's essentially, he would ask for the benevolence of those walkers, those passers-by who were headed into church, headed into the temple to pray. And he asked them, can you help me? Will you provide for me? And he would put out his hand and ask for help. And so Peter and John, more than likely, by the way, having probably passed by this same man over and over and over again, perhaps for many years, this time, according to the providence of God, Because God intends to do something through this story, and he records it for us so that we might learn from it, this time they look at him. They see him, and he catches their gaze. Verse 3, it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. And guess what he expected? He expected to receive something. He expected to receive something financial. Some sort of help. But notice Peter's response, the central verse of this story. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter says to him, I don't have silver and gold, but I do have Jesus. And you're gonna soon find out, friend, that that is much more valuable than anything else I could give you. As we think about what Peter and John offer and this offer that they're about to make to him, this healing they're about to provide, the proclamation of Jesus that they have to give to him, what it teaches us as a church is that we can't offer anyone anything that we don't first possess. I can't loan you something that I don't already first have. I can't give you something that I don't know myself. You can only give what you have and you can't give what you don't have. See, this lame man expected again to receive some money, receive the benevolence of these people, and we should be generous people. Peter and John, I'm sure, would have loved to be able to give him some silver or gold or some means to provide, but they didn't have any. But what they did have was something much more precious. They had Jesus to offer. Sadly, too often in the church, I would say specifically the Western church. We have many things that we have to offer, but because of our negligence and our decision, that we don't spend much time with Jesus. We don't spend much time in his word. We don't really have that relationship with Jesus. We might be able to offer silver and gold, but we don't have much Jesus to offer back. And that's sad. This is something that, by the way, that's been happening. It's not new just today. It's something that's been happening for many, many years. All the way back in the 1100s, there's a story recorded for us by a historian about an interaction between Thomas Aquinas, who was a priest, and the Pope at the time, Pope Innocent II. And it's said of this story that Thomas came to the Pope and the Pope was sitting in the church counting money. You see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. Thomas replies, truly, Holy Father, neither can she now say, rise and walk the moral of this story is that we sometimes have plenty of resources. Sometimes we have plenty of resources that we don't give very generously. We hold back. The lesson is not that we shouldn't be generous and we shouldn't give our lives away as freely as we possibly can. The lesson is that Jesus is so much more valuable and precious than anything else we have to give. And if we're going to give people Jesus, if we're going to show them Jesus, if we're going to be people who display Jesus in every area that we go, bearing the fruit of his spirit in our lives, we've got to know Jesus. We've got to have a relationship with him. And too often, we can talk about Jesus We can use some Jesus-y language. We can say a few things, but we don't truly know Jesus. Friends, my hope, my prayer for this time together, this message, if God would choose to use it in this way, is that somehow you would know that I know Jesus, that I know him in the depth of my soul, and that he has redeemed me and saved me and done something radical in my life, and that's who I want to offer you, that you would know him. Not know me, not know the name of this church, not know what time we gather on Sundays, not know what kind of Easter egg hunt we put on, not know how many people show up, but that you would know Jesus. That is the hope. And he is the only one that can do anything for you. He's the only thing that I have to offer you. I tell you all the time, I'm a train wreck, I don't have much to offer. Uh, Here's what I do have to offer. I have to offer you Jesus through the gift of his word, this book, that's all I have. We must be a people who know Jesus. Matthew 13, Jesus gives this parable, talks about what, it's, what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, in his joy, by the way, not begrudgingly, not because he ah, got to have to do this because Jesus told me to. No, in joy, he goes and sells everything he has. He gets rid of every possession that he owns so that he can buy the field where he has found the possession, which is Jesus. Jesus is most valuable. That's the parable that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that this is what it looks like. When you discover Jesus, when you know him, when you understand him, it's not something that we do out of guilt or out of shame or to protect ourselves from those things. It's something that we know him, that we know him, that we know him, and that we receive his love and he changes our life. And he changes the way we view the world. And the things that were once precious to us, we realize they're worthless. I would give it all away to know Jesus. Jesus taught us this as well through his own words again in Matthew 5 when he taught us through the Sermon on the Mount. A few of you were with us, a few, I don't know, some of y'all were here way back when when we did the Sermon on the Mount series. Matthew 5 3, Jesus said, Blessed is the man who, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand the poverty of their souls. Not physical poverty here, but spiritually. We don't have physical poverty, much of it at least in this context. But what we sometimes do, what we often have is a spiritual poverty. And here's the good news, friends. Your spiritual poverty, understanding that you have nothing. I have nothing without Christ. And because I understand and I am fully aware and I believe in the depth of my soul. And I know that I know that I have nothing without Jesus. His promise to me, Jesus' promise to me is that I am a citizen of the kingdom. It starts with my understanding of my need and my poverty. And then it starts with understanding the value of Jesus and the exchange that can be made. This is the beauty. This is what Jesus has to offer. And so Peter and John, they say, hey, I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have silver and gold. But here's what I do have. I have Jesus. And in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, believe, he says. And that beggar, that lame man, notice what happens to him in verses seven through nine. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Praising God. He responds, his feet are made well. And he goes from someone who had to be carried everywhere his entire life to someone, he's an athlete now. He's leaping around, jumping for joy, praising God. He's in the temple for the first time in his life. Again, just imagine that for a moment. It's hard for us to get this context But if for some reason there was like your entire life you'd never been able to find yourself in a situation where you were able to sing and praise and worship God with another group of believers and the very first time you were able to come in and enjoy what we get to enjoy every week. Can you imagine the excitement? I hope the joy that you would experience and feel being able to experience that for the first time. This is what he experienced. And so he's leaping and he's praising God. He's directing glory to God for healing him and not just healing him physically. As Peter explains, if we skip down to verse 16, it says, In his name, this is Jesus, by faith in his name, by faith in Jesus, has this man strong, has made this man strong whom you now see. And it's his faith, it's his faith in Jesus that gave him perfect health. The health was simply an outworking, an external display of what Jesus had done in his life. It was his faith that had healed him. And so he now has been able to go from someone who couldn't worship to now worshiping and praising God for the healing that he had received. Again, his spiritual healing being so much more valuable than the physical. In the same way, the money that he asked for, what he had hoped to receive in the alms, this physical response He received something much greater spiritually. He received the word of Jesus. And as Jesus was made real in his life and drew him close and he was able to put his faith in Jesus, he now received physical healing, but the spiritual healing was that much more valuable. That is what was precious about this story. Friends, I don't know your situation, specifically speaking to any of you who are far from God. You say to yourself, I don't know about this Jesus. You're here simply because your neighbor annoyed you enough and you finally just said, okay, I'm gonna go. You're here because mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma has been praying and asking you to just come and worship with them to spend some time. I don't know all of your stories. I can't possibly know that. But here's what I do know, that the world offers all sorts of alms, all sorts of provision, all sorts of things that it can give to you, that it offers you. And we are so entranced by that so very often. You look around the world and you wanna know what drives the world. I always say this, just follow the money. Follow the money, and that's what it drives so much. And our own hearts and our minds are so tempted to look at the world and see everything through the lens of finances and through the lens of provision. And you've been chasing something, believing that something would give you life, believing that it would find hope for you. And here's what it, the reality. You're never going to satisfy yourself. I say that out of love for you. You will chase that trail down till the end. And you're here... The providence of God, not just your annoying neighbor, the providence of God brought you here so that he could tell you that's not valuable. That thing that the world seems to be able to offer you in abundance, that's not gonna lead you to life. It doesn't, you'll never find the hope that you want, but you will find it in the name of Jesus. And you can be healed in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, turn, rise up and walk. And praise him this morning for what he does. Well, as Peter and John see this man redeemed, raised to walk, healed by his faith and in his faith in Jesus, he's worshiping them. And they began to exit the temple. They're leaving the temple now, of course, and they're going back to their, again, just doing their regular routine, their way of life. And it says in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to him in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He sees that Peter and John recognize everybody's looking at us. They've known this same lame man. They've known the same the situation of his life that he was found himself in. They've known all of this same story. And now they see him leaping and praising God. And they're saying, something's happened. Something magnificent has happened. Something powerful has happened. But unfortunately, as so often is the case, our human condition leads us a little bit astray. We don't always get the point. And they didn't get the point. And so Peter has to correct them. He says, men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as through by our power or piety we have made him walk? Why do you think and why are you beginning to to presuppose that the reason that he is walking is because of our holiness, piety, what we have done or that we somehow possess a power to do this on our own? Peter and John teach us one of the values that we live out in this church. You'll hear us talk about this pretty regularly here if you stick around very long. It's not about us. It's not about us. Peter and John say, this isn't about us. We didn't do this. This isn't our power that made him well. No, this is Jesus. He is the one who made him well. And that's what he describes in verses 13 and following. I've got to go quickly, but he says, the God of Abraham, speaking to Jewish people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus through this. This is Jesus's work, not ours. It's not about us. One of my favorite Psalms, 115 My sons chant this verse as they go and serve in summer camps every week. They chant this verse to begin their week. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, Peter and John say. It's not about us, but to his name. He's the one who needs to be glorified. Jesus is the one who will receive glory. And he goes on in 15 and following, he describes that these people, the Jewish people had led Jesus to death, had put him and they had exchanged, it says the author of life for one who had taken life, a murderer in Barabbas. And he's de- they're describing this exchange they make and how you killed Jesus. But guess what he says, you killed him. Here's the beautiful thing. You killed the author of life, verse 15. And God raised him from the dead. You killed him. And God raised him from the dead. See, God was glorified when Jesus was raised from the dead. And now God had brought more glory to Jesus' name as this man was raised to walk. It's all about Jesus' glory. It's not about us, it's about Jesus' glory. As we live again, back to this daily routine that we're walking in and we live our lives. I don't know about you, but tomorrow morning, Monday mornings are sometimes a little bit challenging for me. I just kind of wake up and I'm like, I'm the only one. There's three of us that sigh on Monday mornings. <laughs> I'm just like, here we go again. Rat race, busyness, schedule, hits me. It's too early in the morning. I know I'm supposed to work out, but I really don't want to. And then I got to do this and I have this meeting. I got to be at this breakfast. And I just start going through this routine. And I can just kind of feel like, I don't want to do any of this, Lord. I just want to, I, 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 y'all know I like to sleep. I just want to stay asleep for a little bit longer. Sometimes he allows me to do that. But most of the time we have this. And as we think about our lives, I don't know your own schedules and your life and your routine and all the things that you're involved in. But sometimes we can think about our daily lives and we can just be kind of like, I just want to stay home. I want to rest. That's a natural response. But let me give you some hope. Let me give you something that will energize you tomorrow morning when you wake up. I want you to think about tomorrow morning when you wake up, that God has given you an opportunity to bring more glory to Jesus through whatever it is that you go and do. As you wake up and you go to a job that you feel like you don't really like and they don't pay you well enough and they kind of beat you down a lot, you get to bring glory to God as you live the fruit of the Spirit. You live with joy and peace and patience and kindness and long suffering and you display the work of Christ in your own heart to a very dark world that doesn't understand people that aren't selfish, that aren't greedy, that aren't always out for themselves, that aren't trying to always get mine, the world doesn't see that or doesn't understand why when they see you do that, Jesus is gonna get more glory in the earth. As you go to school and you do whatever it is that you do with your classmates, your friends, as you engage and you operate differently, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is gonna get more glory on the earth. Everything we do is about bringing glory to Jesus. This week, I spent two days meeting with church planters and it's just part of something I periodically will do to come around them and encourage them, kind of help them evaluate their plans, church plan is a new church start again. Nine years ago, this church was started and I have the opportunity to come alongside men and women that are thinking about starting new churches and so spent two days with them, hearing stories about what they were feeling called to do and them sharing what the Lord has laid on their hearts and one of them said to me, and I love the way he said this to me, I gave him a gold star for this one. <laughs> we wanna plant this church so that Jesus would get the rightful glory he deserves in our city. We planted this church so that Jesus would get the glory that he rightly deserves. God raised him from the dead so that he'd be glorified. God raised this man to walk so that he would be glorified. God called us to do whatever we do so that he would be glorified. And so as you go about your routine that feels kind of a beatdown, and you're not really sure why you do it and you're not sure if you, that God is in it, as you live... As sons and daughters of God, empowered by his spirit and bear the fruit of his spirit, you bring more glory to Jesus. We, too, are going to plant a new church. We're in the process of planting the bridge church that's going to be coming soon. That's just like a preview, like the movies, coming soon. We're doing that. Why would we engage in that work? So that Jesus would receive the glory he rightly deserves. I've run out of time, but... Very quickly, I want us to see the response of the people as they declare again, Peter and John say, This is not about us, it's about Jesus. What does he tell them to do? He says, You killed Jesus, but notice what he says in verse 17. And now, brothers, he's talking to those that he just said, Hey, y'all killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and God did all this so that you get more glory. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that Christ should suffer, all of these things, all of that was supposed to happen. So repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That man who was laid by the gate every morning of his life was looking for refreshment from the Lord, needing that refreshment from the Lord we have an opportunity to receive each and every one of us that refreshment, that life from the Lord as we repent. And back to those friends, those of you that are here this morning, again, not sure about who Jesus is. My guess is, because I've had enough conversations like this before in my life, that there's a possibility that in your soul right now, you're saying, yeah, 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 that Jesus sounds great, but you don't know. Do you... Remember what these people did? Peter says, you killed Jesus. And right now you think there's a sin in your life that's greater than that, that you don't have the opportunity to repent of and can't turn away from and can't say, hey, I'm letting go of all the things in the world and receive the refreshment of Christ. friend, The enemy has been lying to you for too long to convince you to believe that is true. I have nothing to offer you but Jesus and his promise, his word that I know to be true in my own life because there was a season that I was running far from him. He was was calling me and I was going this way. Tell you all the time, I'm a train wreck. I got plenty of issues, but Jesus is real. And Jesus has redeemed me. I am a train wreck, but I am a redeemed train wreck that is being made to look more like Jesus every day because I spend time with him, because I know him, because he loves me. And so if you think for some reason that there's something in your life that you're not able to, no, 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 no. There's no way he's gonna forgive me for that. You didn't kill him. He laid down his life to atone for that sin, that issue, whatever it is in your life, but he laid it down. He said, I'm gonna go to a cross so that, my younger brother, this knucklehead that I'm gonna put in Melissa, Texas someday, is gonna be able to tell the story of what I did for people that need to hear that he loves them and he laid it down and he invites you this morning to say, just as Peter, here's my invitation, repeat, repent, repent of your sin, turn from that and receive the refreshment that Jesus has to offer. You will be refreshed. Life will not all be sunshine and roses, No. Because Jesus said that we're going to suffer for making that decision. We're going to suffer for following Him. But what I know that I know is that Jesus loves me. I have life. I have it in abundance, not physically, but spiritually, because that's the life that Jesus offers us. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. The words of the song say, Come to the altar. Come to Jesus. Repent and believe. Or for some of us, again, we've kind of struggled to see this as they sing these words every, think about the week ahead and think about all the opportunities that you're going to have to display the fruit of Jesus's spirit in a world that desperately needs it. And get excited. Tomorrow, we get to go do things wherever you go so that Jesus would rightly receive more glory on the earth. And he's going to do that through you and me. What an amazing gift that is. If you're able, stand and let's sing. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. And we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city and the hope of the world. oh. oh. You say